Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. It's better to worship with a, a fuller house, isn't it? It's a lot more fun, isn't it? As we think about all that we, we get to experience today, we are grateful. Our hearts are full. And so as we look at God's Word, we know we're in 2021 walking through the Scripture, the whole story. The whole story of reality. I don't know how you take in reality, how you take in truth in these days, but we want to make sure we're focused on what we can rely on, on this truth. So I want to want you to turn in your Bibles to Romans 8, and then uh, hold that there. That's page 941 in those pew Bibles. If you don't have a copy of your own, take one of those black ones, and if you need to take it home so you can read through it, uh, that's what we're doing this year. We're reading through the Bible. There are a couple of plans out there on the on the glass table in the foyer. You can pick one of those up too. It's still January, and so you can. It, it's not too... Uh, much to catch up, and I encourage you to do that because I think the more we we look at the Word and the more we take in God's truth, the more we're transformed into God's image, like He created us to be. Last week we looked at the story of creation. By the way, the main passage we're going to look at is Genesis three, and that's page four in that black Bible, or or like page three or four, the very front of your your Bible. But we looked at the story of creation. And how God has, has made everything, and, it, and so He has everything. He's claimed everything because He made it. If you make something, it's yours. And so we live in His world, and the challenge of life is to live in God's world with God's creation, God's creatures on God's terms. Because those terms are the best way to do it. The best way to live. And so as we look at Genesis 3 today, we're going to look at what went wrong with that. Can you imagine what it was like in the Garden of Eden for just a moment? Can you imagine the, the green grass beneath your bare feet? Can you imagine the, all those beautiful fruit trees? I don't know, you've been to California, you've been to, to Florida and seen those orchards, or just a, I've been from here to Seminole and see the pecan orchard, and you see all of those beautiful trees. Maybe not quite the same, but... Uh, all those beautiful trees all around. That river running through the middle of the garden water and all that. And you think about what's going on, how peaceful and fruitful as, the, as you see the birds and hear the birds and, and as you see the, the livestock and all, all those uh, game animals. Can you imagine how great it is? How wonderful it is. How perfect it is. That's the world God created. Can you hear it? <laughs> I, I don't know what it is, but I can hear it. Ah, isn't it good to have kids downstairs? That's wonderful. Thank you for because <laughs> I was about to go crazy. What's going on? <laughs> thinking I saw some of you thinking, where's that music coming from? <laughs> because our perfect world was just shattered a little bit, wasn't it? <laughs> and then in the midst of that perfect world in the Garden of Eden, something goes wrong. Terribly wrong. Irreparably wrong. And so we're going to look today at, at how we got to where we are. Think about that for just a moment in our world, in our day. I call it the triple whammy. The economy and the election and, and the epidemic all together. We think that's the problem of 
what's gone wrong. But the truth is, we created a lot of these problems. You realize that? When I say we, I'm talking about the whole of mankind because I don't want to point any fingers because as I point to you, there's three of them pointing back to me. We did it. We're what Andy Stanley calls serial mistakers. Now, he's not talking about fruity pebbles and apple jacks. He's talking about S-E-R-I-A-L, serial mistakers. Think about this for just a moment. We talk about how nobody's perfect, and we have, that's one of our mantras. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. Anything's possible. We know that. We know we are sinners and fall short of the glory of God. We know we make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. But God didn't create us that way. We think somehow, some way, that's what it means to be human. But that's not what it means to be human. That's what it means to be fallen humanity. And so when we think about mistakes, we, we talk in terms of, well, I made a mistake in my previous marriage, or I was making mistakes in my former job, or, or we get the, these politicians or these public uh, uh, figures, these celebrities who discovered after years of some kind of moral failure in an ongoing affair where they say, well, I, I just made poor choices or mistakes. No! You don't just make a mistake and embezzle hundreds of thousands of dollars or are involved in a long-term affair. That's not a mistake. That's not just falling into sin. That's a mistake on purpose. You know what I mean? We've all done it, haven't we? We didn't just fall. We made a mistake on purpose. What do you call a mistake on purpose? Or what do you call, what's the best term for a mistake that you make over and over again? Or what do you call someone who makes those mistakes over and over and over again? And Andy Stanley calls them serial mistakers. And I'm one. I don't want to be one. I've been redeemed so I don't have to be one. But there are times in my life that I'm a serial mistaker and I think there's times in your life you are too. And how did we get there? Well, we're looking at that story. This piece in Genesis 3 is more relevant than maybe any other passage, more relevant to everyone in this place than any other passage in Scripture because we still struggle with these areas and we still deal with temptation and sin and the consequences, the punishment of that sin. But praise God that we also have redemption. And that God, as we've been singing about that, has washed us to start a new life. And we can. And it doesn't just happen once. It's got to happen over and over and over again. We don't just repent once. We repent over and over and over again. We don't just believe once. We believe over and over and over again. So that's what we're going to look at today as we look at First uh, Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 9. Would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? I'm reading from the New Living Translation, the same translation as those black Bibles. If you have another one, it might be just a little bit different, but the message, the message of God is still the same. The serpent, what went wrong? The serpent was the craftiest or shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any 
of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. And if you do, you'll die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. And at that moment their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves and when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Where are you? There's some more to the story. I hope you'll keep it open. But we're going to stop right there. And I want you to consider that. Where are you? Let's pray together again. Father, teach us. Teach us from Your Word. Your Word is truth. And so we cling to it. And Lord, we look to what You have to teach us today and how our lives can be adjusted to Your ways. How we can live on Your terms. Believing that Your terms are best. In Your holy name we pray. Jesus. Amen. Make a seat. I hope you have a, a copy of the, the bulletin. We're going to be walking through that. And, and the first part of that is just a, a, a reprint um, of the text. But a little bit more. In chapter 2, keep your Bibles open. It's the same thing. I just want to draw some uh, attention to some of these, these differences in, in the way that God spoke His command, His Word, and the way that Eve received it, responded to, the, to this temptation. So the first thing I want us to see as we look at the story, whole story of reality, in this text, in, in Genesis 3, there are four realities we're going to deal with when things went wrong. And the first one is this temptation. Temptation. So that's something that all of us deal with. And you know, it's not a sin to be tempted. But it is a sin to yield to that temptation and do things our own way. The Scripture says in Isaiah 53, 6, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. And each of us has turned to our own way. The good news is, the Lord has laid on Him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So we have all at one time or another yielded to temptation, but I want us to look specifically at Satan's strategy and how we deal with this because we're, we're going to look at this, examine this kind of like a, a general would investigate and, and study the enemy. You know, you got a better chance of winning in a battle if you know something about your enemy. That's why coaches watch film. They want to know what the opposition does. And so as we look at what Satan does, and he's the one, that's the first thing I want you to see here, is that the source of evil, that the source of temptation is Satan himself. 
This serpent represents, I think all of us are probably in agreement on that, represents Satan himself. Just if you need a reminder though, remember Satan was a was an angel with the Lord. Lucifer was an angel. And, and Revelation talks about this most clearly. Isaiah 14 would also talk about this. In Revelation 12. And there was a cosmic battle. And, and Satan lost that battle because he wanted to be God. And he was thrown out of heaven. And so Revelation 12, 9 says, The ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So that's what he's been doing from the very beginning. He wants somehow, some way to wreak havoc on God's creation and the crown jewel of God's creation, you and me. And so He comes into our lives still, not just in the Garden of Eden, tempting us. And He knows. Oh, He knows our our weaknesses. He knows how to get to us. And so He's very, very real. But the great thing about it is we don't want to give Him too much power because greater is He that's in me than He that's in the world and roaming around this world. So we got to trust in Jesus to understand, to help us understand what's going on as we are tempted. So look at, at this a little closer with me because he disguises himself so well as an angel of light. Second Corinthians 11, 14 tells us that. But Satan's strategy is this. Primarily, he is a liar. He creates doubt in us with his lies. That's what lies do any any time. But yeah, I just want to remind you. You know that, but you just turn to the person on your right and your left, and you say, Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar. Satan is a liar because none of us would give in to temptation if it didn't look good. And really, this serpent is uh that word for serpent is translated shiny one, and so you think about this for just a minute. Eve is in the, the middle of the Garden of Eden, in the middle of paradise, and here shows up a serpent, a snake. Why isn't she afraid? I, I've never met a woman who's not afraid of a snake. Now, I'm sure there are some in here. There are some tough ladies, but for the most part, ladies, would you raise your hand if you're afraid of a snake? Huh? That, there's a reason for that. that. This passage tells us the reason for that, that you're always in opposition uh, to her, that snake's offspring. And you're off, you're, you've been offspring from that woman that time. So that's, that makes sense to me. But remember, this is before the fall. So this serpent looks good. He's appealing. She's curious. She's naive. She's innocent. So she listens. You know, the first thing he does is he begins subtly Suddenly, the twist what God said. It's still the way. You know, people who say, well, doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible this? Or doesn't it say somewhere in the Bible that maybe you've, you've been guilty of that? I think it's in there somewhere. Well, we got to know. We got to know it enough to know because Satan you know, uses half lies all the time, partial truths. All the time. And that's what he does here. Look in your, on your bulletin. Look at the promise, the command, uh, God's word in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. What God said is this. Here's the promise. You may eat freely. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are Sure to die. Well, that, that's what he says. 
God says, you can eat of every tree except one. We've got to ask ourselves, why does God prohibit the eating of that one tree? It's simple for me. I may be simple-minded, but God wants to give us a choice. How did that serpent get in that garden? Well, I, I believe God allowed that serpent to get in that garden because God wants us to choose Him in His ways and not evil. And, and it's like me and my children, I, I want them to love me. And I, don't, I can't force them to love me. I can't make them love me. Now, there was a day I could make them respect me, but I couldn't make them love me. I want them to love me because they know how much I love them because they know how good I am to them. And that's what God wants. God has created us to experience His love. He wants us to know how much He loves us and He wants us to freely choose to love Him back. He's given this woman that free choice. We'll look at that a little more in just a moment. But just the nature of temptation is that the evil one is creating this doubt in the goodness of God. You see that? That's the, that's the first element of the doubt that, that he creates. Did God really say you can't eat of any of it? No, 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 no. God said you can eat freely of all of it. Except this one. And I'm giving you a choice to do right or to do wrong. I'm giving you a choice to obey me or disobey me. I'm giving you a choice to love me or not to love me. Because chosen love is the sweetest love. He knew that. He knows that still. So that's, that's part of how, God, how Satan is creating this doubt. But that's not all of it. God, he's also creating this doubt in God's judge, uh, justice. Look down at verse 4 of what we read. It says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, you won't, you won't die. God says, if you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Are you serious? We're eating a little fruit. God says, you're going to die? Well, that seems so unfair, doesn't it, Eve? I'm speaking like the devil. You think? I'm speaking like Satan. Isn't that what he's doing? He's causing her to doubt his justice, his fairness, his, his righteousness. See, the first one, when, when we doubt his goodness, we think, well, it's more fun to sin and live that way than it is to live the right way. God is some kind of cosmic killjoy in the sky and doesn't want us to enjoy life. That's exactly the opposite. God wants us to enjoy things on His term because he, terms because He knows that's the best way. He knows that's guilt-free living. He knows that there's no consequences of doing things His way. There's only blessing, but there are consequences when we choose to go our own way. So Satan creates this doubt in God's goodness and Satan creates uh, this doubt in God's justice, but Satan also creates this doubt in God's truth. He says in verse 5, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. Now, there doesn't seem to be anything wrong with knowing good and evil. Why doesn't God want that for Eve and Adam? You ever stop to consider that? 
Why shouldn't we eat the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, the point is God prohibited first and foremost. But the second thing is God wants us to depend on Him for truth. We don't, or we can't all say, well, I believe this, or, or I believe that, or, or this works for me, and, or this works for me. Where's the standard? Part of what's wrong with our society is we've lost the Judeo-Christian standards and morals and ethics that we were, were founded upon. And, and we know that those, those ethics and morals were founded on, on Scripture, primarily the Ten Commandments. And so when we, we think about this relativism, this, this humanism where we, everybody's got their own truth. No! There is truth. And the truth is, God wants us to depend on Him. Most people think that God helps those who help themselves. Especially in this country of, of eager entrepreneurs. But that's not the Scripture. That's poor Richard's almanac. That's Benjamin Franklin. God helps those who depend on him. God wants us to walk in relationship with Him. So, where are you? Where are you when it comes to this issue of, of temptation? When it comes to understanding the truth and not falling for the lies and, and the doubts that have been created? Because God always, wherever we are, we're in the midst of temptation. Young people, hear me at this point especially. God gives us a way out. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptation in your life are no different than what others experience. We think we've got this unique situation that nobody else understands what we're going through. But God knows and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure it. Most of the time, we look more for the way in than we do the way out. Don't Think about this. You resist the devil. He flees from you. That's what James says. Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and He will flee from you. But Eve doesn't do that. She doesn't do it all. She, she gives in to the desires, and those di desires cause her to sin, and that sin grows in her, and ultimately it ends in death. What James 1, 14 and 15 talks about the nature of sin, the progression of sin. You look at that a little bit later. There's this doubt, and then there's this idolatry where she lets something creep between her and God. In her instance, it's fruit. In our instance, it can be anything from food to football to our hobbies, our interests, even family can creep in there sometimes. Those are all good things until they become God things. Until they become what we worship and what we give all our attention and, and devotion to. All our affection is upon those things. And every waking moment we think about those things instead of what it means to live in God's world. On God's terms. Enjoying God. You see, the most abundant life you're ever going to experience, I, I don't know if you know this at this point, but is not in enjoying sin. 
It's enjoying God. All of us need to hear that. That's, that's where life is really, really found. So we look at that first reality and then Eve gives into that. And so sin creeps into the world and more than just creeps in, it storms down the wall. And Eve looks at this and look at her response to what's going on here. Eve's response, she took away from the Word of God. And this is where I want you to compare on your outline uh, Eve's understanding of what God said and what God really said. By the way, as... And we're going to get to Adam in just a moment. Well, I'm going to go ahead and cover Adam before we get to Eve's response. Where's Adam? Where is Adam when all of this is taking place? Right there. Right there next to him. Man, can I... If you've got a family, I, I, want, to, I want you to hear this. When we forfeit our spiritual leadership, our wives and our children, they suffer. Adam is passive. Adam is right there and Adam's job is to protect and to provide for Eve. And Adam instead is, is such a, he's such a doofus there. He's just watching. I wonder what he was thinking. He knew the command. Eve's not there yet because Eve hadn't been created yet when God gives him that command in chapter two. And so he, she has to get the, the command, God's word from, from Adam and Adam knows that if they eat of that forbidden fruit in the middle of the garden, that they're going to die. I wonder if he's sitting there watching her eat that fruit and thinking, oh, she's about to drop dead. <laughs> Why is he doing what he's doing? Not only that, when God comes to him, where are you? What have you done? The woman. The woman you gave me, God. Who's he blaming? God. Not just his wife. We do that, man, don't we? Then he blames God. Not in a good spot. This is where it all went wrong. And And I would say, because the Scripture bears witness to that, especially in Romans 5, it's because of Adam that sin crept in. That Adam is really the first sinner. Eve is, Eve is deceived, yes, and she falls into sin. But Adam willfully chooses to do what he does. It's what Mufasa and Lion King says is, deliberately disobeys God. I use that with my kids all through life. You deliberately disobeyed me. And that's what Adam does to God. He deliberately chooses What Eve does is she misunderstands the command and, and misuses that. And so I want us to look at that in comparison here because her response is key to overcoming or, or to avoid our response the same way. And we, we don't want to follow Eve's pattern into sin here. We want to overcome sin. And so as we look at this, one thing she did, first thing she does is Eve took away from the Word of God. Did you notice this as we read the commandment? God said you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so what Eve says later to the serpent in her response, he said, when God, he said, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree? Eve said, yeah, we can eat from the trees. But she leaves out that freely. 
She leaves out that every. You see, she makes God more prohibitive and restrictive than God really is. God wants for them in the garden is to flourish, to enjoy His creation. We are responding by taking away some of that, that freedom, that joy, that flourishing. She takes away from it, and then she adds to it, she makes it more restrictive. Did you notice this? Later she says, he said, you must not eat it or even touch it. Where does God say touch it? Does he talk about that at all in his commandment? He doesn't say that at all. Sometimes we can be, even Christian people can be uh, stricter, more restrictive. And God himself, God doesn't say you, you can't touch it. Now, it was a good idea, by the way. And Eve knew that was a good idea. You don't want to mess around with the forbidden fruit. You don't want to mess around with sin. You want to stay as far away from it as you possibly can. But but in her dealing with Satan, she makes it even more restrictive and shows us that. And then, and then she changes God's word. You notice the tree? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when God gives the command. And it's in the middle of the garden with the tree of life. And she says it's the tree in the middle of the garden. Now, I think that's pretty significant because she is more concerned about the location of it than she is about the importance of it. She changes God's word when she says, God said you're sure to die when you eat of it. And she said, lest, lest you die. It's a little less restrictive. She doesn't, she doesn't get the full force of how important this issue is. And, and sometimes we don't either. We think, well, we'll just, we'll just sin and, and we'll just claim God's grace and we'll just go on about our business. Do you realize that when you willfully disobey God and you willfully yield to sin and rebel against God, that you and I, when I do that as well, that we are contributing to the fallen state of humanity and what's gone wrong in our world? That's not what God wants. Wants to fix it. Briefly, I want you to see the punishment that took place. You see, Eve has pain in childbirth, and Eve also uh, wants to rule over her husband, and her husband rules over her. The two greatest relationships she has, there's going to be conflict and pain with her children and with her husband. You see that? Difficult when life began to be hard. The consequences for Adam are that the ground is now cursed. And so the sweat of his brow, he's going to have to fight all those weeds in the, in the garden that were never there before. And farmers, if there's any, I mean, farmers would love it if they didn't have to do weed control. It's all constant. It's broken. It contributes to that. But here's what really happens. The punishment is Guilt. Guilt. Did you notice? If you read right before what we read publicly in chapter 2, verse 25, that they were in the garden. I, I didn't bring this out in the, in the paradise, but they were naked 
and unashamed. And then in verse 7, their eyes are open and they see good and evil and they know that they're naked and now they cover up. They are ashamed. Now what happens between 2.25 and 3.7? Is there, do they just suddenly become grossly obese and, and they can't stand being naked anymore? No, you know what's taking place. It's, it's sin and the, it's the deformity and it's the destruction that sin takes place and now their eyes are open. And now guilt and shame is part of the punishment. Well, the Christian life would be wonderful. Even if there were no heaven and there is, just to be guilt free and shame free and to know that someone took our place on that cross. Someone died and took our punishment so that we might live and experience His blessings. So that's part of the consequences. There's condemnation that takes place. Where, where are you, Adam? What, what are you doing, Adam? Romans 8, 1 says, In Christ there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't have to live under the judgment of God anymore. The sentence, the death sentence of, of God anymore. So there's guilt and there's condemnation, but the worst punishment is separation. had this per- perfect relationship with God. They're in that perfect place, the Garden of Eden, paradise. They're walking with God, experiencing fellowship with God. God's telling them about all of what He's made. God's showing them just what life is, is all about. They're, they're walking in the sweetness, the cool of the day. Can you just imagine, I don't know, some beach somewhere, some mountain experience with God there showing you, loving you, caring about you, and then it's all gone. Paradise lost. Cast out of the garden. Why? Before they can eat the tree of life and be in that state eternally. That's an act of God's grace that He cast them out of the garden. But more than that, sin and paradise are incompatible. That's why when we go to heaven... There's not going to be any sin in that place. Because it wouldn't be heaven. It wouldn't be paradise with sin in that place. It's going to be perfect all the time. That's why the only way to get to heaven is perfection. You hear me on that? The only way to get there is to be perfect. Now you say, I'm not, I can't be perfect. Absolutely. So we trust in the one who is in our place. Jesus. I've heard people say, well, I hope I'm good enough to get there. I hope my good outweighs my bad. I hope I, I, I'm good enough from now until then to get there. No! You're never going to be good enough. You've got to trust in Jesus. The one who's good enough. In your that's the punishment here, but that's not the end of the story, is it? Because even from the beginning, in that brokenness, this is all bad news. Now, I want to get to the really good news because that's, that's point four. I don't know if you got point three was punishment. Point four is redemption. God doesn't leave Adam and Eve in their state. Praise God. 
thank God that there is more mercy in Christ, more forgiveness and grace in Christ than that there than there is sin in us. And He's covered that and He's planned for that and He knew what He was going to do. But you and I got to understand that it's only in Jesus that we have that covering. It's only in the shedding of innocent blood that, that we're covered. What would have happened, what should have happened probably, and what did happen in most ancient stories of creation and redemption was that that would have been the end. They blew it. There was no hope. Not with God. God comes into the garden looking for them. Wanting to reconnect them. God comes and sees those pitiful fig leaves. Because that won't do. We can never cover our sin ourselves. So what does He do? He creates for them garments from animals. He sheds innocent blood and covers their shame, their guilt, and their nakedness. I don't don't know what kind of animal it was, but wouldn't it be just like God for that animal to be a lamb? A lamb, a sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God. His blood was innocently shed so that our sin, our rebellion, our willful disobedience is covered. Folks, that's good news. As we think about the redemption that God provides, would you, would you think about the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam? In Romans 5, it talks about this. Look at this a little later, but I just want to share just briefly a word about it. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. First Adam, death. Second Adam, life. Romans 5, 20 and 21 says this, where sin increased, and it did, There's this downward spiral in the rest of the story. In fact, the rest of the Bible would make no sense without Genesis 3. Because it's the story of reality and redemption. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. God did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And sin reigned in death and grace also might reign through righteousness leading us to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we look at this passage, we see with Adam there's guilt and there's condemnation and there's separation and eventually eternal separation in a place called hell. But with Jesus there's pardon. There's forgiveness. There's righteousness counted to our account. We're subject of His grace. And heirs of eternal glory in heaven. So as we think about this, I close with that question. God brought to Adam and Eve. Where are you? 
Are you in the midst of temptation? If you are, will you flee? Will you resist the devil? Because it matters. Are you in the midst of, of sin and it's captured you and you're experiencing the consequences and you need God's forgiveness? You know you're dirty and you need God's cleansing. Are you, are you where I want you to be and where God wants you to be and where you really want to be? It's the life you've always wanted. Are you walking in freedom? And sharing that freedom with other people. Helping them. Because you're redeemed. And you're proud to say so. Redeemed by the, the blood of the Lamb. What do you do? What do you do right here, right now? You need to, to get right with God. You repent. You turn away from your rebellion. You resist that temptation. You turn to God. And you believe. The great truth of John 3.16. That God loves you. Because ultimately the doubt that the evil one brings into Eve's life is that God doesn't really care. God doesn't love you. Did God really say? But God, we know, loves us so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting eternal life. Have you received that gift? The gift of salvation? Have you experienced all it means to be free from sin? If you haven't, you can today. And if you have, and you need a church to help encourage you and grow with, and you need to be a part of this, I'd encourage you to come today. And if you've done those things, now let's think about our strategy, church. Who needs to hear? There are a lot of folks in a lot of places dealing with a lot of junk. And we need to give them the truth that there's hope. That the promises of God are true. He's never let us down. And He's not going to start now. Let's pray together. Father, Thank you for the time that you've given us. Lord, thank you that there are people in this place who have accepted what you've done for us. And now, Lord, help us be about your business. Flourishing in your world, your way. Loving you, loving people, and making disciples. Lord, there are other people in this place, some young, some old, who've gone their own way, done their own thing, still trying to, to live life on their own terms. And I pray, Lord, that You'd show them that leads to death. Not just now, but forever. We don't want that from them, for them, and, and we know You don't want that for them. But Lord, I pray You'd use this time we have Show them your truth. And to help them admit they're sinners. Believe in what you've done for them. Is for them. And choose this day to follow. Lord, if there are others in this place who just need to throw their hat in the ring with this church and say, I'm committed to the Lord first and foremost, but I'm committed to His bride here in this place. You lead. Lord, help us 
follow. Empower us to follow. Strengthen us to follow even now. In your holy and precious, powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stand as we sing Amazing Grace? How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. You respond right now as God leads you. Maybe you need to join this church officially. Make sure you're committed to His body of believers. Maybe you need to give yourself to Him first and foremost. I'd encourage you to do that right now. God leads you. You respond to the Spirit of God moving in your heart and your mind.